This is a podcast of Forest Lake Baptist Church Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit our Facebook page or our website at flbc.org.au. We hope you're blessed by this message. Let's pray together. Lord, there's so much going on, but in the business of it all, help us to never forget that ultimately it's your spirit that does the work. While we can have programs, we can have events, if you're not at work, all our labours are in vain. And we do not want to be working in vain, Lord. We want to see people come to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. We want to see families transformed. We want to walk down the streets of our community and hear the sound of families singing to Jesus coming through the window. And that will only happen through your Holy Spirit. So our prayer today, Lord, is in the midst of all the busyness of this coming season of Christmas, of the stuff coming up for us as a church, for the baptisms today, for the prayer night tonight, Lord, would you please be at work carrying out your perfect will in us? Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for the gathering of your church. Thank you that even this morning, I saw people crying together, laughing together, serving together. That's your church. And Father, we thank you for your worldwide church. We thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who today will be persecuted for proclaiming Jesus. We pray for them and we pray for their persecutors that they might see the testimony of your people and that persecutors might become missionaries for Jesus. Lord, we're sorry, as Seb reminded us at communion, for the way we make it about us. We're sorry for the things we've done that we shouldn't do, and we're sorry for not doing the things we should have done. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers that sin. Keep bringing us back to Jesus, we pray. Help us to love one another really well. We pray especially for Barb today as she grieves the loss of Ralph. Lord, for all those who grieve this day, may we be a place that genuinely loves one another to go beyond words and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, as we open your word today, I pray that you will speak to your people. Speak through and to me, Lord. Take me out of the way and speak to your people. For as Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. On Tuesday, 1st of November, I jumped in the car with the kids to take them to school. And one of my kids, and I promised them these days that I won't say them by name which one, but one of them said to me, can I be in charge of the music? And we all know, right, that the driver is in charge of the music in a car. And my kids have learnt the lesson that when I'm driving, ask. And I said, yeah, I was very gracious, Dad, that day. Yes, you may choose the music. I did not expect the song that was put on. Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. First of November. When did we start doing Christmas in the first of November? Now, I need a little survey, show of hands. Is 1st of November too early to start doing Christmas songs? Oh, there's a few people. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what the problem was? Once I listened to that one, I ended up listening to the whole album. 
I even dropped them off. I'm still listening to it. Then I started to listen to Chris, Chris Tomlin's Christmas album. I spent the whole day in, uh, when I was at the study or in, uh, in the car listening to Christmas carols, and I got to the end of the day thinking, what's happened to me? <laughs> I used to be the guy that would say to my family, the Christmas tree doesn't go up until the 1st of December. Now I'm listening to carols on the 1st of November. Because I think there's something going on in our community. And I was talking to a lady at a shop the other day who was actually hanging a Christmas garland uh, above their reception desk. I said, really? You're hanging Christmas garlands? She said, you know, I just, want to, I just want Christmas. It's been another year, hasn't it? Surely we can start to get into Christmas now. And I think ever since 2020 and the pandemic began, Christmas is starting to be celebrated earlier and earlier because we're all just desperate to have a bit of Christmas cheer in our lives. It's because we are living in this grey zone time. We've talked about this a few times now as a church, but for so many people at the moment, they feel like, I feel like, there is a grey zone. The the world that we knew pre-pandemic seems to have stopped. Politically, everything is in turmoil. I mean, it's Sunday, so we'll probably get another British Prime Minister by Wednesday, because that seems to be how they're going. Who knows? Like, by Christmas, they probably had another half dozen. I don't know. Economically, we're in turmoil. We've got high interest rates. I mean, they're talking about uh, energy prices going through the roof, in- inflation of 7%. I can't imagine that. And everyone's kind of looking around going, what will Putin do next? What, what will happen overseas? What? And everyone, I've, more and more people that I talk to say, I just feel like I'm in this grey zone. And for families, I think families feel like they're in the grey zone at the moment. We're in a good grey zone where we've got one kid who's finishing grade 12 and entering a whole new season of life, but it's still a grey zone, right? There's change all around us. And again, we come back to this wonderful book of Joshua, which we looked at at the beginning of Joshua on our church anniversary day. And today we're coming back to Joshua, but this time at the end. When Joshua shows the children of Israel what it looks like for families to walk through the grey zone. There's about to be a change of leadership in Israel. There's about to be a change of everything. And Joshua leads the way to show the children of Israel, this is how you do family. This is how you do your household through the grey zone. And every year for us as a church, November is a family series. Because we believe discipleship begins at home. We believe that, and so we want to invest in families. That's why we've got the men's night on the 26th. That's why we've got the ladies' brunch on the 3rd of December. It's why we're going to come together as a church family on the 10th of December for our Christmas party. We believe discipleship begins at home. Let me read this amazing passage from Joshua chapter 24. He Basically, his last words to the people of Israel before he died. And just before this, just to give a little context, he has given a recounting of the history of Israel and all of God's goodness to them, all of God's leading through them, out of slavery and from the days of Abraham all the way up to this present moment. And he says, in view of all of God's grace to them, verse 14 of Joshua 24, therefore fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourself this day, today. Which will you worship, the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? But as for me and my family, or some of you will know it as we were taught, as for me and my house, 
we will worship the Lord. We've got a little, uh, we, a friend of ours made a little knitted, I oh know crocheted knitted, I don't know what you call it, thing, frame thing, that used to sit beside our front door at our old house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see it on coffee mugs, right? But what does it mean? There are three things here that Joshua is calling the children of Israel to do as families and is still calling us to do today as Christians in our day, in our grey zone. And the first is put your time where it matters. He says, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. As Seb already reminded us this morning, there are so many competing things on our attention, so many competing things on our time, so many competing things for our money, for our, our lives, all around us, constantly telling us, come and follow this, come and buy this, come and have this, and you'll be happy. But God says, fear the Lord and worship him. Sounds simple, right? Just fear the Lord and worship him. But one of the things I've noticed over my time in ministry, one of the things I've noticed over my lifetime is how less and less I think we see Christians wholeheartedly putting God first. And I think if we're going to be honest, one of the ways we see that is in the truth that now, for example, the McCrindle Institute in Sydney, a demographic organisation, they have now assessed, they've changed the definition of what regular attendance looks like at church. It used to be how many, it used to be how many times a week did you go? Now it's once a month is regular. Once a month at anything is not regular. Once a month at anything is not regular. And for so many of us, and let's be really honest, this is not a thing like, get yourself back to church. We don't do that here. But if we constantly find that there's another interest that takes us away from God's people and another interest that takes me away from God's people and another thing that takes me away from God's people and another thing that takes me away from God's people, then we have to ask ourselves, well, then how much of a priority is it actually to be with God's people the way he tells me to be? We have to be honest here. And if God is telling us to fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth, then I think one of the key barometers we have to judge that by in the modern church is how much we are gathering together as God's people. And I realise when you preach this message to a room full of Christians, you're all like, uh, here? <laughs> you're telling us to be here? We are? There's no easy way to get it out to the people who aren't here, but to say your participation, your attendance in church is more than your posterior on a seat. You being here is an encouragement to everyone else around you. You singing to Jesus encourages the people around you. You going up and saying hello to someone is an encouragement to them. It is just so important. And a key phrase that is going to be coming up again and again and again through this series is this. How we spend our time shows what we value. How we spend our time shows what we value. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. 
But how, how many people in the first three minutes of waking up have picked up social media? The statistics from the uh, Australian Bureau of Statistics tells us it's something like 70% of Australians within the first three minutes of waking up have already checked out what's going on in the world in social media. Imagine the difference it would make to our Christian lives, to our church and to our community if the statistic was that over 70% of Christians within the first three minutes of waking up have picked up a Bible. Where we spend our time shows what we value. And the first part of this passage is fear the Lord and worship him. How do we do it? Well, he says, start by getting rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. It starts with an honest self-assessment, being aware of how the world is impacting us. I listened to a podcast recently by a guy in Melbourne that I, I respect, a guy named Mark Sayers, and he did this, what he calls it, a sin chart, which is a bit awkwardly named, but I still think that what he says holds value. He says there are four things that really drive most people, including Christians, not Jesus, but are driving us for worth and for driving our purpose. He said there's four mindsets. The first is hedonistic. Just give me more stuff and I'll be happy. Just give me more stuff. How do we see that in families? Well, just go and buy that new thing. Then we'll be happy. Go buy that new thing. Go buy that new thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with things. The Bible says enjoy everything from God's hand with thanksgiving. But if we try to find our value there, as Seb reminded us earlier, we're going to continually find we're looking for more because it will never satisfy the second thing he says we try to find our meaning in, the, one of the gods of our age, is what he calls moralism. Just work harder. Just be more moral. Just you get it right even if no one else does. You be good. Now, morals are good, right? Work hard is good. I come from a good Scottish background, which means, uh, you know, the three things you grew up on were the Lord's Prayer, porridge, and hard work. They're good things. But if we think we're going to get our value, our meaning, our identity from being that person that just works harder than everyone else, that's just a little bit more moral than everyone else, we will come to an end of ourselves. The third thing he says we often run after is the therapeutic mindset. Just, just feel good. Anything that doesn't make you feel good, get rid of it. Any friendships that don't make you feel good, get rid of them. Catherine showed me a quote this week that if Jesus had taken the mindset of get rid of anyone that didn't make him uh, feel good, he would have ended up with no one around him. No one in the third world expects that life is going to always feel good, right? But we do in the West. No one who doesn't know if their kids are going to be still alive at the end of the day in nations where they are starving expect to always feel good, but we do somehow. So as families, we chase the feeling, just feel good, just feel good. And the fourth thing is nihilism. Feel nothing because it's all going to let you down anyway. I may as well retreat into something online. I might as well retreat into Netflix, into social media. There's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong 
with Netflix. But if it's where we run because we've come to an end of ourselves, we're running to the wrong thing. We should be running to Jesus. And this is where we have to do an honest self-assessment. None of those things I said is, is neither good nor bad. The problem is when we replace Jesus with them. He is our source of meaning. He is our source of life. He died for us to give us abundant life. He gave us, he gave us assurance. He gave us joy. He gave us peace. He gave us love. We keep coming back to Jesus. And I challenge you as a, as a household, as a family, if you're on your own, do, do it on your own. Perhaps one of those four stands out to you and you think, I do that. Don't consider this a slap over the knuckles. Consider this an invitation. And hear me say this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than stuff. He's better than me being the most moral person, hardworking person in the room. His peace is better than anything the world can give. And with Jesus, you engage. You don't retreat. But if this is true, then it makes sense why for the third thing, we get one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture in the way that Joshua ends this phrase. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It takes intentionality. If we truly do want to make Jesus the centre of our homes, we will not get there by letting the society take us in its current. I was talking to a dad a few years ago when my kids were hitting high school and they were coming home with... Uh, telling me about conversations that were happening in the schoolyard about things like sex and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, you're allowed to say that word in church. It's okay. I'll just give one a minute if you need that. But things like sex and porn and, and that kind of thing. And my kids and I, we have a good relationship. We talk about stuff. But it's confronting as a dad, right, when your kid starts talking to you about that stuff. It's like I just want to crawl under anything that's close by. And I talked to another Christian dad, an older guy, and I said, how did you deal with this when, when your kids started talking to you about it? And I'll never forget his answer. I didn't. They can learn about it the same way I did, behind the toilet block. Can I tell you the toilet block is a really bad place to learn about this stuff? And parents, can I say this? If we are not talking to our kids about this stuff, the world is is we cannot we cannot be surprised if there, there are taboo subjects between us and our kids that they are going to just take on what the world tells them is true because we're not giving them an alternative yes it's uncomfortable yes it's awkward yes it's hard do you know what most good things in life that are worth doing are a little bit hard but as the father to my four children, I want them to worship Jesus more than anything this world offers. I want them to worship Jesus more than a career. I want them to worship Jesus more than what the world tells them by social media gives them value. 
I want them to know that they are the daughters and Angus is the son of the king of glory and that is who gives them their identity. And if social media and if friends and if TV tell them that their identity and worth can be found somewhere else, I want them to have the wherewithal to say, say that is rubbish, my worth is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for every young person of this church. I don't want the kids of this church finding out that their value comes by how they dress or how they look or how many friends they have on social media or any of that stuff. I want them to know that every girl in this church is a daughter of the King of Glory. Every boy is a son of God Almighty and take that message into this world that so desperately needs it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It takes intentionality. Because ultimately, everything rests on God's grace. Sometimes when I give this kind of a sermon, someone will come up to me afterwards and say, Mark, there's enough parenting guilt in the world without you adding to it. I get that. Here's the truth. Jesus loves your family your parents, your brothers and sisters, children, nieces and nephews. Jesus loves them even more than you do. Our job is not to point them to us. Our job is to point them to Jesus because he's the only one that's going to meet all their needs. So what does that mean for us? Well, like Joshua, this passage only comes at the end of a long chapter, 13 verses of him recounting the grace of God to Israel. Drink deeply of God's grace to you as a family. Spend time in his word. Joshua says in verse 17, just a few verses after this, it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. So here are three spheres in which we can put this to practice. And this is, this is applicable not just to those of us who are parents, this is applicable to us as a church because we are a family. We don't attend church, we are part of a church because we are part of a family. The first is personally. I'm amazed how often I hear that families don't even say grace together. The TV is no place to have a meal. Have it around a table and say grace pray together. Oh, it's good to hear your kids pray. Even if they say occasionally, Lord, help me to be grateful for what's in front of me. That's okay. Call out to Jesus. That's all right. The second thing is community. We actually need one another in community. We need you. We need you here. We need you in our lives. We need you in our kids' lives. We need you in the older people's lives. We need one another. And the third thing is serve. Not just in the church, serve. Teach your family how to serve. Serve neighbours, serve in church, serve family. But when we serve, we show Jesus. Because ultimately, as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. I want to see a legacy built in this church that outlives all of us. When we are long gone, three, four generations down the track, there are kids still serving Jesus because of this place. Join me in that desire. I am here today because my grandfather told my father about Jesus. My grandfather was a Christian because his father told him about Jesus. He was a Christian because his father taught him about Jesus. And his father brought the whole group of family, crazy family that our lot were, from Scotland to Australia and said, we're going to follow Jesus. I want my four kids to follow Jesus. I want the kids of this church to follow Jesus. I want their kids to follow Jesus. I want the two kids that are going to be baptised at 11.45 today to have a legacy of their kids following Jesus. And we are here today in part because of a man who served Jesus faithfully. When things were difficult in this church and a small group of people said, we will not let this thing go, we will serve Jesus. One of those people was Ralph Strudwick. He said, I know it's tough, but this is more important. And we are the beneficiaries of people like him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Heavenly Father, it's fine to talk about this stuff. But unless you're at work in and through us, none of it matters. And so we bow the knee in submission to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Lord, where the gods of this age are drawing us away, whether it's moralism, whether it's hedonism, whether it's the therapeutic, whether it's nihilism, whatever it is, Lord, that's drawing us away from Jesus, bring us back to him, we pray. Bring our families back to Jesus. We pray today for our family members who don't know Jesus at the moment, who aren't walking with him. There will be Everyone in this room will know someone. Oh, Lord, we pray for them that their hearts would be turned back to Jesus and that we can say with Joshua, not just for our own dwellings, but for us as the household of God in this place, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make it so we pray for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.